This morning I titled the message, What Are You Shouting About? Have you ever been in one of those um, fights with your spouse or your girlfriend or significant other or somebody in your life and you get to the end of it and you start asking yourself the question, wait a minute, what were we even fighting about, right? Or if you've ever been in one of those situations at work where you got into a conflict and it escalated and it grew and at the very end of it, you just really began to wonder, how did we get from point A to point B? We live in a world that's loud. You look up every day, you hop on your phone and you look at the news and there's no shortage of people shouting about something, am I right? Even if it's not a cause worth shouting about, someone will find an opportunity to shout. We're running these ads right now in Magnolia before we go to the town and open up the church and, and as we're doing, we're, we're paying money to reach people. Because here's what I believe, I believe Jesus loves people more than he loves money. But what's funny is in the whole Facebook world, people have, you know, issues with everything. And so as we're running these ads, it's so funny. I love it. Every day I get to read these trolls, you know, these people just like sitting at home with a bowl of cereal in their underwear, just like, I'm going to hate on the world right now. And as we're running these ads, people are like, you all ain't even a church. You're you spending money. If you're going to use money, you should be feeding the poor. And I just, I just get a kick out of it. I think it's funny because I really believe God has spent every dollar he has to reach people. And as I'm watching and interacting with these trolls on social media, I'm realizing we live in a world that loves to shout about something. The question I want to ask us today is what are you shouting about? What in your life, when you look at your life, when you get to the end of your life, and people look at your life and take the sum total of it all. What will have been the message of your heart? What will have been the tune of your life, the song, the melody of your life that has played out in time? As I um, think about it, there's people that shout for all kinds of reasons, but most of the time people shout whether they realize it or not because they need help. Uh, a couple, uh, this is a couple years ago now, I think, I made a very poor decision. If you've ever had to go to the restroom and you're driving down the road and there's no other options and you pull off to the side of the road and, and you pull over to this gas station that you know better than that, don't go in. You think it's just like internally, you're like, I shouldn't go in there. Really, what you don't know is the Holy Spirit's just prompting you, you really should not go in there. I had to go and so I pulled over into this gas station and I go in and instantly regretted it, but had no other choice. My kids and my wife were in the car. All the kids were strapped into their car seats and, and I go into the restroom and as I go in, I you know, do what you do and then I'm getting ready to leave and I reach out and I grab the door and the handle won't turn. I, I, let, me, let me paint a picture for you, okay? I'm talking it stinks in there. I'm talking the walls are nasty. I'm talking it's one of those you don't want to touch nothing. And I'm stuck. And when I say stuck, I mean I'm stuck. I start throwing my body against the door. I'm pushing on, I'm, I'm kicking on the bottom of the door. So what do I start doing? Shouting, panicking, and shouting. Somebody help me. I'm a grown man <laughs> in the bathroom shouting, somebody help me. Now, I don't know why nobody came, but nobody came, and nobody came, 
And nope. So about 10 minutes later, I'm wondering if my wife is ever going to come rescue me. So I pull out my phone and I call my wife and I said, honey, I don't ask any questions, please. But just get the kids unbuckled from their car seats and, and come in here and please open the door. And she starts laughing at me. Y'all, anybody married to one of those people that would rather just laugh about it than do something about it? And so I am locked in the bathroom and she comes in, she's in the hallway, I can hear her, she's laughing. The attendant didn't speak English, I only speak English, and we had a problem. Until eventually I begin to hear the attendant kicking the door. And for the next five minutes, he is taking screwdrivers into the door, he is pushing on the door, he's busting at the door until finally it just pops open and I'm out of there. And that is the last time I will ever stop at some random gas station that the Holy Spirit tells me not to. I was shouting at the top of my lungs. Why? Because I needed help. In our life, we find ourselves in situations where we begin to shout because there's something internally going on beneath the surface that says, I can't keep living this way. Things have to change. I don't want to go down this path again. I need help. We understand it when people shout because they need help. What we often have a harder time doing is understanding why people are shouting because they're mad. I'll never forget the first time when I was getting on the interstate for the very first time as a 15-year-old with my permit. I remember pulling onto the interstate, driving my dad in the seat next to me. Here we go. And all of a sudden, on the on-ramp, somebody comes flying around me, showing me some very, very kind hand gestures. Shouting at a 15-year-old boy he did not even know. Why? Because something going on inside of him is mad about something. It's easy to shout when you're in need. It's easy to shout when you're mad. It's easy to shout when you're confused. You remember in school, your teacher giving an assignment, a project, didn't understand how to make it happen. She says it's due tomorrow. It's worth 50% of your grade. What happens in the room? Everybody's hands go up. But, 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 I, we got questions. You ever been to your boss, a situation, something going on, not really sure how it's going to work out? You're confused about why you're even doing it to begin with and what the value is to the company. And all of a sudden, you start noticing that people are very easy to shout about what's going on. There's a lot of reasons to shout, but the question at the end of the day, we all have to ask ourselves is what I'm shouting about worth shouting about? Another way I want to say this is this, is is the commotion of my life, does it have a just cause? Is the cause worth something shouting about? In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we read a story of a group of people. And this group of people start realizing that these followers of the way, in other words, the followers of Jesus, there's a commotion that's starting to rise and people are beginning to sense that this Jesus thing is getting a little bit more out of hand than what they had expected. And the people, the business guys in town realized this was about to put a big impact on their business. So they get together and they begin to realize this is going to cause some problems and all of a sudden a little riot breaks out in the community because the followers of the way, the Jesus people, had a commotion about them that was having an impact on their very way of life. And they begin to shout. And I want to read this story, uh, a passage of this story in Acts chapter 19. I want you to hear this scripture. Here's what it says. Large crowds are gathered together and some had cried out one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion, 
and most of them did not know why they had come together. I love that passage. I just wanted to share it with you because it's this idea that a large crowd of people have gotten together because they have a problem. The only problem is they've all forgotten what the real problem is. You've been in a mass crowd before. You've been in a group think situation before. And they all begin to shout and there's commotion in the place, but there was nothing but confusion. In Acts chapter 19, verse 40, it says a, a man stands up and he says this. He says, for we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. We're in danger of being charged with rioting because there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. In other words, one bold man in the crowd of all of them stands up to say, what are we really shouting about? My question today is are we willing to be that one person that stands up and say, what am I shouting about? What's the message of my life? What's the tune of my heart? What am I shouting about? As I read this passage, I'm reminded again of Moses in the Old Testament. Moses in the Old Testament finds himself going up on the Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments from the Lord, and God had just done some incredible, miraculous things for the people of Israel. But while Moses is up there for a hot minute, the people get distracted. They get confused. They find themselves needing help. And all of a sudden, they find themselves shouting. As Joshua and Moses are on the way back down, they hear the shouting in the camp. Joshua gets confused and thinks it's the sound of war in the camp, but Moses knows better. And as Moses comes, he stands at the gate before the people, and here's what he says in Exodus chapter 32, verse 25. It says, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, they were running wild, they were out of control, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and he asked them a question. He said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi had gathered around him and he said to them, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, put your sword on each side of you and go to and fro from the gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and that day about 3,000 of the men fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Each one of you, listen to this word, at the cost, at the cost of his son and of his brother so that he might bestow a blessing on you this day. We read this passage of scripture, it comes right after the golden calf. They began to worship the golden calf. The singing in the camp was of worship to another God. The shouting was to another God. A people who had just experienced God's miraculous hand of provision on their life had turned with the crowd and began to shout about something that had no eternal value. In fact, shout about something that would lead them far from anything that had any eternal value. And as they're shouting, Moses comes down into the camp and he realizes what's going on and he stands before them and he says, I have a question. And my question is, who's on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? And as I read this story, I'm a little bit afraid because there's this idea that Moses is now asking people to kill their brothers and their neighbors and their friends. 
And we read this in our New Testament 2023 worldview, and we say, that's a little hard. But you have to remember, this is in a time before Jesus had ever shown up. Sin had to be paid for. There was penalty. There was a cost to what was happening. And so Moses says, strap your sword. Who's willing to do right by the Lord? Who's willing to take a stand for the Lord? Who's willing to count the cost and pay the cost no matter what it is? What I love about this passage is the fact that the very question Moses asks them is the same question he asks us. He's not asking us to strap a sword on. He's not asking us to kill our neighbors or our sons or our daughters or, or anything like that. But he is asking us the same question. Are you on the Lord's side? Are you on the Lord's side? And in our world, that's kind of hard to understand what that means. Because for us, it's a like on Facebook. For us, it's a heart on Instagram. For us, it's a, yeah, I'm with you. How do I know that, okay? Uh, most of you probably have a Netflix or Disney Plus subscription. I just have one question. How many people have access to your account? Your neighbor, that one guy you met at Walmart that one time, your son in college, right? Why is that? Because we live in a world where it's really easy to give out access to people and it doesn't cost them anything. We live in a world where following Jesus, sad to say, can often look a little less like what he intended for it to look like and a little bit more like what we feel comfortable with. And I don't go to church here, so I won't be here next week, so um, I, I can say this. But the question is, are we counting the cost and paying it? Are we on the Lord's side? Are we willing to take a stand? And when I hear that, my own heart is convicted at times. Because at times I know that I'm guilty of saying, yeah, Lord, I'm in. Oh, that, uh. Talk to them? I, I don't know about that. Oh, Lord, you want me to give how much money? Um, counting the cost and paying the cost to be on the Lord's side. I wanna give you a couple things this morning. The first one is this. Make a commitment to count the cost. Make a commitment to count the cost. What the Lord is asking us to do is actually very simple in theory and hard in practice. Are you willing to count the cost? It's more than just raising your hand and saying yes to Jesus at the end of a service. It's an everyday lifestyle. It's an everyday commitment. I, I wanna illustrate it to you like this. Do I have any volunteers in the room? Nobody? Okay, yeah, one in the bag. Who have $20, hard cash? Do, does anybody in here have a $20 bill? I hope, I hope it's not so 2023 that this illustration bombs because nobody even knows what cash is, all right? I'll look right over the college students in the front. If you have a check, I'll take check. I'll take check too. You have $20? Okay, bring that $20 right up here, okay? Give it up for, you know, this is a little nerve-wracking. Let's hope you actually have that $20 bill. Come on up. I have something for, oh yeah, you first, I'll take first, you know, first come. If you want to leave yours on the altar right there, you can do that too, all right? You're going to fight for it. Okay, I got $20 cash right here. Thank you. Th oh, you just, okay, this is for somebody else. Okay, $40. Here we go. So here's what, I'm going to ask you this question. Are, you're willing to give that to me before you even know what you're getting? Do you? Yeah? 
Okay, so you're not counting the cost. You're not listening to anything I said. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, here's the deal. I used to be a youth pastor, and uh, who knows what youth pastors do? You know, this could be like one of those blended up McDonald's blender things, you know, and make your drink up here. But the question on the table this morning is this. Will you give me that $20 for whatever's in this box? Are you willing to do that? No matter what. What if, what if it's not good? She's just laughing. She's nervous. I made her nervous, okay? Well, here's the deal. For $20, you can have whatever's in this box. We got a deal? Okay, we got a deal. She's ready. She's excited. Okay, so here's what I got. Oh, you know what? A $25 Texas Roadhouse gift card. Sorry about you, buddy. All right? A $25 Texas... Actually, don't go anywhere. Uh, you just made some money. You made five bucks, right? All right, you have a good day, okay? Actually, wait, what's your name? Uh, Sammy. Sammy. Actually, you know what? I want you to give that to him. You're going to, you're going to a steak. You got a steak date night tonight. Thank you. All right? You have a seat. All right? Here's the deal. The Lord asks us the question, are you willing to count the cost? Are you willing to go all in before you even know what's in the box? And I think that's the hardest part in our culture and in our day and in our world to understand. Because if it's me, I'm bartering with God. God, if I do this, is this on the other side? If I act like this, will this happen to me? If I give $1,000, will I get 10000 back? If I follow you for the rest of my life, does it look different for me in heaven? Sammy, will you come here for a second? But the problem with this is this idea that in our negotiations with God, we, we make a mistake. It's not a value comparison with God. A value comparison is a lot like the house that I just bought. My family, we just moved. Our life is a mess. We moved, but before we moved, we figured out how much our new house would cost. We figured out how much it would cost to sell our old house and paint our old house and buy moving boxes and negotiated a few you know, dollars for my wife to buy 50 million decorations for the new house. There was a value comparison. But with God, it's not a value comparison. Because you see, with God, we get whatever's in the box. And what most people don't realize is, at first glance, they get a $25 steakhouse dinner. What they don't realize is with God, there's always more inside the box. So you, my friend, are going to Papa Do's for date night, all right? You enjoy your roadhouse, she's going to have some seafood. Here's the challenge. With God, it's not a value comparison. It's a trust comparison. With God, it's not a value comparison. A value comparison says, God, if I give you this, can this happen? God, if I do this, will my life look a little bit better? But the question we have to ask ourselves is, even if it doesn't look like it's going to get better, will I do it anyway? Moses asked them, who's on the Lord's side? He didn't say on the other side, you get the promised land and a steak dinner waiting for you, even though your friends don't. The Lord asks, who is on the Lord's side? It's a trust comparison. Do I trust the Lord enough to do what he's asking me to do? Do I trust the Lord enough that even though I don't know what's inside the box, I'll go anyway? Because what we realize in time with the Lord is that what he has in the box is always more and better, more sustaining than anything we could have ever thought or imagined. 
The question comes down to trust. I want you to read this passage with me in, in the book, book of Luke. It's Luke chapter 11. I'm sorry, 14. It says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate? Whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This verse is a hard one to swallow. Unfortunately, we don't hear it as much anymore. Three words, count the cost, deliberate, and renounce all that you have. It's not just enough to count the cost. The second thing this morning is this, I will pay the cost. I will pay the cost. You see, in your walk with the Lord, you have to make the decision from day one that no matter what he asks me to do, I will do it. I will pay the cost. I, uh, uh, I was a youth pastor at the Ark Church in Conroe for about six years, and we had this big event, and uh, we had all these, you had a funnel cake truck come out. And this funnel tra- cake truck came out, and you get a bunch of junior hires around, they'll do all kinds of crazy things. And I passed one uh, 13-year-old boy walking down the sidewalk with about 10 styrofoam containers of funnel cakes. And I looked at him, and I said, hey, bro, you're going to leave some for the rest of us? To which he responded, They're free! And I walked off thinking, and I'm paying for them. You see, the idea of what's free is different to different people. And I think we make the mistake in our walk with the Lord at times of forgetting that although it's free, it's not free. Although it was freely given, it comes at a very high cost. Jesus paid a high price. It cost him everything that he had. And what we make the mistake of doing is thinking that because it's freely offered to us that it doesn't actually cost us anything. But in fact, it does. It says very clearly throughout scripture that anyone who would follow Jesus must give of his own life. I get Jesus's life at the cost of giving up mine. I get Jesus's life at the cost of giving up mine. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I have a question, how many dead people other than Jesus have you talked to? No one. Why? Because dead people can't talk. Dead people can't walk. Dead people can't live. Dead people can't do anything. They can't make money. They can't have friends. Dead people are dead. And scripture says, I have been crucified. I was dead and buried with Christ. But now like Christ who was raised from the dead, I am raised from the dead. It's no longer I who live though, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Following Jesus comes at the cost. It costs me everything. It has a financial cost. 
You begin to ask yourself these questions. What is following Jesus costing me today? What is it costing me? It has a financial cost. So when we look at our checkbooks, we should be able to tell that we follow Jesus. It has a relational cost. When it comes to our relationships, we should be able to tell that we follow Jesus with our time and our priorities and our worship and our devotion and our family and our status and our decisions and our lifestyles. We should be able to tell that we have paid the cost of following Jesus. I want to paint it to you a little bit like this. One Sunday morning after church, I was, uh, I was leaving church. I had just preached and I was walking out to the car and I was talking to one of the ushers. We were walking down the sidewalk and as we got going, I was pushing my uh, one-year-old at the time and uh, I, she was crying and screaming and I was trying to have a conversation and, and I gave her my car keys and she began to jingle them and play with them. No big deal. I continued in conversation, got to the car, loaded her in the car, turned around, began to have a conversation with the usher, and all of a sudden, beep, beep, the car locked with my one-year-old holding the keys in the car. And I'm standing in the church parking lot. I just preached, so I'm supposed to be holier than I really am, having all kinds of thoughts come up inside of me. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? So I began to pound on the window. Emmy, 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 push the button. And she's just like my wife was a few minutes ago in that other story. She just laughed at me. She's smiling, gooing, and gone. Emmy, push the button. Daddy needs you to push the button. This is in the summertime, Houston, Texas. Oof, we, it's hot. All these thoughts start playing through my mind. How's this going to go? What's going to happen? Am I going to break the window? What are we going to do? In that moment, here's what I needed from my daughter. I didn't need her to just hear what I was saying. I needed her to do it. To relieve the tension in the room, she pressed the button. Yeah, I know, she's a genius. Yeah, she was only one, but. I realized that day how much that's just like my walk with the Lord. He doesn't just need me to hear what he's saying. He needs me to do it. And when we count the cost and do what he says, it shows that we're paying the cost. The last one I like the most, though. I'll count the cost, I'll pay the cost, and the last one comes with this. He provides the funds. Have you ever been up to one of those situations you didn't think you were going to make it through? You ever had one of those times where you sure weren't sure how you were going to do what the Bible was telling you to do? You ever had one of those urgings inside of your heart you knew came from the Holy Spirit so strong he was asking you to do something and you had no idea in all the world how it would ever be possible? One of the things I've experienced with Jesus over and over and time and time again, I believe that if it's true for me, it's true for you, and that is this, that he always provides. There's a cliche preacher phrase that says, whenever the Lord gives you a vision, he always makes provision. But it's true. When the Lord gives you a vision or asks you to do something, he always makes provision on how to do it. And one of the things I want you to walk out of here knowing today is that no matter how far you feel like you've gone or how messed up you feel like your life is or how good you feel like you aren't to be able to do the things that God is asking you to pay the cost to do, I want to encourage you that as you leave today, you can know that he's doing it with you. 
that he's helping you, that he's encouraging you, that he's strengthening you. And as he does, you will look up one day and you'll say, that cost that I thought was so great turned out to be the best decision of my life. Paying it had the greatest reward of anything I could have ever imagined. Why? Because he always has a way of helping you pay the cost. One of the things that I love about the passage in scripture is that Moses says to the men who are willing to say, I stand on the side of the Lord, is he says this very fancy word. He says, I have ordained you for the service of the Lord. That word has lost its art in today's world. We don't use it very often, but the, the word ordained literally means the Lord has anointed. He has filled them up for the service of the Lord. In other words, it was the Lord who gave them the strength to do what they didn't think they could do. It was the Lord who gave them the strength to do what no one else was willing to do. And it was the Lord who filled them to the place where they could be obedient to follow him. And if he did it for them, and he's done it for me, he can do it for you. The question this morning now turns to this idea of are you allowing the Lord to fill you with the strength, with the anointing, with the calling of him on your life to do what he's asking you to do. And as a side note, I wanna share that that day in the story that we just read about in Moses, 3,000 men died. 3,000 men had to pay the cost with their life because they were shouting about things that didn't matter. But as we get to the New Testament in Acts chapter two, it says that the Lord anointed, he ordained, he poured out his spirit on all men. And we read about it for the first time in the book of Acts. And I wanna point out a very interesting fact, Bible fact that you may be like, I don't really, what does that even matter? You know how many people got saved that day? 3,000. Hundreds of years later, 3,000 men died for shouting about something and it cost them their life. Hundreds of years later, when the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon man, people begin shouting about the cause of Jesus. The commotion of their life begins to speak what God is doing and as a result, 3,000 men get saved. I believe there are some people in the room today you need filled. Because what you know is that as the Lord fills you, the commotion of your life will begin to shift. The, the words of your life will begin to shift to a place where God begins to do something new and fresh in your life.